0: The book of Jude. For some reason, my voice doesn't want to cooperate much this morning. I couldn't sing any low notes. That's why I was singing that high note on that song we were singing a while ago. Pastor Taylor said, Brother Williams are hitting that high note. Or at least I was trying. But not much volume on the, on the low note side. The book of Jude, we had started this last week and we'll try to get a little further today. We are living in strange times, folks, really strange times when evil's called good and good's called evil. When uh, we find out that our government's tracking us if we're buying Bibles, buying guns. You have, listen, you have a constitutional right to have a firearm. government does not have a constitutional right to tell you you can have one. They don't have a constitutional right to find out if you have one. I'm all for law enforcement. I mean that 100%. But uh, law enforcement means that our rights are left alone. They're they're not twisted and changed. You say, well, what's all that talking about? It's talking about uh, a form of government that will lend itself to an antichrist. When the government gets too big. When government's big and God's small, that's socialism. And that's certainly the direction we're heading. We're living in strange days where you can get in trouble for calling a man he because he wants to be called she or something else. Uh, I read today where a 90 year old worker was let go from a position because she asked, What does it mean to use a pronoun? And they said that was offensive speech. And we lived in just strange days. Where colleges and universities have taught our young folks that America's a bad place to be. But hadn't told them where a good place is. I mean, listen, if you don't like this one, find out the one you want to go. I'll give you $100 to help you get there. Amen. Amen. You know, find another country. Uh... America is not perfect. Slavery was a blight on our country. It's a horrible thing. We're still paying a price for that. But slavery's been over a long time. And trying to live by critical race theory and wokeism and anti-racism and intersectionality is is a recipe for disaster. And we are seeing that train wreck. Uh, Even in the investment world, were people investing? I think it was the ESG, I think that's what they called it. But anyway, it was trying to invest to promote uh, wokeness. And I'm thinking you ought to invest to help your, your people who own the shares of stock, of the company, but they were investing for social justice. Listen, social justice is a misnomer. Uh, obviously, the Bible's for justice, it is. But this social justice thing is just an idea that people have of a way to to right wrongs. You can't make me pay for what somebody else did 200 years ago. And what somebody suffered 200 years ago, they don't owe anything to you today for that. And the reason we're seeing people turn loose, like in Memphis, Thanksgiving Day, a a man shot and killed a 15-year-old boy. And on Monday... The man who did the killing walked out of jail free. No money, no bond, no no bail. If you understand critical race theory properly, you find out that these ultra-progressive liberal attorneys general are doing that as a form of reparations. I know that doesn't make sense, but that's the way they look at it. It is a form of reparations because certain people were treated a certain way. Then today we have to treat them this way so that we can pay back. You can't do that. You can't live in the past. Jude talks about these things. Look with me at verse number, oh, verse 4. We're going to back up and get some other stuff, but I just want you to look at verse 4. There are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Pastor, you've said a lot of political things today, wokeism and anti-racism and all that. Uh, Those things are political terms, but they have spiritual impact. In the churches that have been infiltrated by this stuff, uh, they're teaching it's not enough for you to be Non-racist. It's not enough for you to be colorblind. You now have to be anti-racist. And I'm not sure exactly what it means to be an anti-racist. I'm not going to hate you because you're white. And I'm sure not going to hate myself because I'm white. On our TV, we get this uh, little blurb that pops up every so often. Uh, What uh, hip-hop singer has sold the most songs or most albums or whatever? And it's a white guy. Not a black guy. M M&M M or N E M or whatever his M is. And he hates himself because he's white. This is creeping into our churches, and what happens is this you no longer is Jesus enough. You can't be forgiven. You have to do these things. And so they're actually adding to the gospel. All of this stuff I went over, CRT, intersectionality, anti-racism, wokeism it's adding to the gospel something more than Christ. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess thy mouth to the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in that heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But you've got to be delivered from racism. I'm not a racist. I'm not. Have I ever been in my life uh, prejudiced? Sure. Not not glad of it, but it's it's just a part of my upbringing. I grew up in the South when there were uh, white only uh, water fountains and colored only water fountains. I didn't know there was anything any different than that. But I found out there is. And I don't I don't judge a man by the color of his skin. I try to uh, judge a man by how he how he acts and what he says, and what he does. There are great black people in this world. There are great red people and great yellow people and great white people in this world. And I'm not going to disapprove of any one particular race because of something that happened fifty, sixty, a hundred, hundred and fifty, two hundred years ago. I'm just not going to let that dictate to me. And so our Our uh, teaching is that if you are a racist today, when you believe on Jesus to the saving of your soul, you're not anymore. (laughs) Uh, Because Jesus doesn't hate anybody. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Whosoever will, and that means whatever color, whatever ethnicity, uh, any of those things. We're not going to hold that against folk, not at all. Why? Because they're changed by grace. We're not the same that we were. Before grace found us. Well, preacher, you know, there's a lot of folks that just ain't that way. Back up to verse number three. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of what? The common salvation. If you're saved today, you got exactly the same kind I got. Every Christian has the same kind of salvation, there's not a white salvation and a black salvation, and a red salvation, there's just one. Just one. Jesus wasn't a white man. Now, if that troubles you, you need to get right with God. He was a Jew. They're olive-skinned people. I've been to the Middle East, and uh, very comfortable, by the way, when I was there. They got some great food. Ooh-wee. have y'all ever had any halloumi cheese besides me? That's some good stuff. Now, I'm telling you, when it's cooked right, Little tulubi. I don't, I don't like tomatoes, raw tomatoes, but if you give me a big old bowl of talubi and and let me have it, it's, it's just chopped up uh, parsley and and maybe some other kind of green stuff, and then they mince, they just chop onion up in little bitty pieces, and then pour olive oil all over it. You you wouldn't think it'd be tasty, but I can eat my weight in that stuff. But Jesus was not a white man. I'm glad he wasn't. Be honest with you, I never thought about what color God was till somebody tried to tell me he was black. He wasn't black, but he wasn't white either. He was be what we would call olive skinned, slightly brown, and you see that in the Middle East. So I I wanted to write to you about the common salvation, but it was needful for me to write unto you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. It's better to encourage the saints than to declare war on the apostates. But when, they're in the, when the enemy's in the field, the watchmen dare not go to sleep. The Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. And we're in a battle. Now, by the way, I don't think it's one that necessarily we started uh, but we are involved in it because we're believers in Jesus Christ. When you get saved, things change in your life. Common salvation. It's preached to all Jews and Gentiles. It's uh, Instead of the law, it's administration, which was the ministration of uh, condemnation, we preach grace. Because all believers enjoy the same blessings and promises of it. It's not based on money. In the book of Revelation, chapter number 3, there couldn't be anything clearer. The church at Laodicea said, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And Jesus said, you're, you're poor and blind and naked. It's Listen, money doesn't make a Christian. We look at America and we're so used to having so much, and we do. We got every kind of vehicle you can imagine. We got them electric. We got them hybrid. We got them gas. We got them diesel. You know, there's some folks that have Fixed up other ways to run them, and and so we got every kind of vehicle you can imagine, from all the way from the Yugos. Yugos were like big pens. Once you use them and they're empty, you throw them away. That's about the way you did a Yugo, but all the way from a Yugo all the way up to the you know the classiest of classy vehicles. I I've seen some expensive ones. I uh, told uh, Sister Joyce when we were stopped in in uh, Knoxville, went to a mall. There was a a Tesla Plaid sitting there. How many of y'all know what a Plaid is in a Tesla? That's a car that will do zero to 60 in about two and a half seconds. Very fast, very fast, and very expensive. Six figures expensive. You see Porsches and Bentleys. There's some car driving around our neighborhood here. I told Ouija, I said, that's either a Maserati or a Bentley. I can't tell for sure kind of a sporty looking vehicle. We've got all that stuff. But having stuff doesn't make us better Christians than people who live in Northern Africa. Because all the redeemed are bought by the same blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Because all the redeemed have the same grace and we're all going to have the same glory. Now I don't know if when we get to heaven we're going to all speak one language. I, I think we probably will. But if not, we'll still be able to understand one another. I don't know what kind of changes will be made in these physical bodies. But who cares? You're in heaven. If God makes us pink and green polka dotted, who cares? We're in glory. We're all going to have the same. Listen, there's just one way, one method of salvation. There's always been one way. It's always been by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. Go all the way back. And you'll find that when Adam and his wife sin in the garden, that in chapter 3 when God gave them the uh, pronouncements, I'm, you know, the serpent's going to bruise his heel and he'll bruise the serpent's head. And he was project or uh, prophesying of Christ. Then Adam called his wife's name Eve. And if you look up the word Eve, it means the mother of the living one. And so what Adam was saying is, I believe what God has said that through the woman is going to come the seed of the woman that will destroy this tempter, this serpent, and bruise his head. That was an expression of faith by Adam. And people have always been saved the same way. Always. There's different methods of approach that God has used, but people have never been saved by keeping the law. They've never been saved by getting baptized. They've never gotten saved by tithing and praying and attending church. You're saved because you've trusted Christ. You believe God to the saving of your soul. Well, what does he talk about here, this common salvation? And we read in the book of, I believe it's Titus, common faith. Common faith. Well, for us, our Baptist distinctives, that's a part of our faith. If I, listen, if I didn't think the Baptist taught the Word of God, I'd be something else. I'd find something else to be. And Baptists haven't always been, you know, there's been time when the word Baptist wasn't used other than to describe John the Baptist. And you could have read that John the Immerser came immersing, but he was John the Baptist. But the, the Baptist church, that name, got hung on us by our enemies during the Dark Ages. We refused to accept sprinkling and pouring. We demanded that a person be immersed. After uh, only an adult's uh, baptism, we wouldn't baptize babies. So they had to, to be able to be old enough to understand that they were sinners and Christ died for them. They trusted him. Then we'd baptize them. And because some adults were getting baptized, they called us Anabaptists, rebaptizers. And if you'll read history, you'll find out that Anabaptists have been accused about everything that you can possibly imagine. Political upheavals and everything else. But here we are still preaching the same gospel that we started with 2,000 years ago. Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose again the third day that I might be saved. Amen? Amen. We contend for our Bible. We contend for the blessed hope of Christ's return. We'll, We'll have some more to say about those in just a minute. How much value do we put on our faith? Now stop and think about what we're talking about today. We're talking about eternity. If all we were doing was talking about a philosophy of life, how you live today, then you might have some argument. You might have some weight that maybe you know a better way to live than, than the way I'm living. But we're not talking about philosophy. We're talking about eternity. You are an immortal being. You have a soul and a spirit that inhabits a body. One of these days, your soul and your spirit are going to be separated from that body. You're going to die. The body will cease to function and we will put the body in a casket and take it out to cemetery and, and bury the body. But the soul and the spirit are alive. They don't die. So what we're talking about is of eternal weight and importance. How much do you value your faith? Is it more important to you than the things of the world? I used the illustration last week. You know, you go into your teenage daughter or son's bedroom and say, you got your cell phone? Yeah, let me have it. Got your laptop? Let me have it. Unplug the TV and take the remote with you? You'll find out what they value There'd be some weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. So we understand valuing certain things. The Bible says, Unto you therefore which believe He is precious. How much do we value our faith? What kind of weight are we going to put upon it? What what measure do we think we should go to to defend it? Uh, when I was a kid, if somebody wanted to start a fight, they'd say something like, you know, your mama wears army boots or some kind of silly thing. You knew they was looking for some kind of trouble, if they did. And uh, sometimes we'd give it to each other. How many of you guys have ever been in a fight when you was a kid in school? Come on now, let's see some hands. Yeah, I'm not going to ask you women, I, I had never seen two girls fight until I was about 16 years old. It was the awfulest mess I'd ever seen in my life. But we got to contend for this faith. Now, we're not going to win arguments with atheists by hitting them on their chin and knocking their lights out. That's not, not even close to what we're talking about. We're presenting truth. And let the power of the Word of God... Listen, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Common salvation. Listen, this common salvation is a deliverance from the greatest of enemies. Satan hates you. Satan wants to destroy you. He's a destroyer. One of his names is, you have Abaddon and Apollyon. Those, Those words mean destroyer. The word Satan means adversary. He wants to disrupt your family. He wants to cause heartache. He wants to destroy your life. He doesn't care how he does it so long as he gets it done, but that's what he wants to do. He's the enemy. He's the enemy. And when you get saved, you're delivered from the enemy. <laughs> the Bible says he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I want to report to you there's some he can't, he can't devour. He can't devour God's children. They, Somebody said he may gum us pretty good, but he can't chew us up. We belong to the Lord. It's a deliverance of the soul, which is the most precious thing that you have. What shall it profit a man if he gains the entire world, the whole world, and loses his own soul? That's not Listen, that's not a rhetorical statement. That's not just some euphemistic thing that we throw out there. It's a literal statement. What shall it profit a man? How's he going to be advantaged? How's he going to be promoted? What's he going to enjoy? If he gains this entire world and loses his soul, winds up in hell. A lot of things I'd like to have. Wouldn't you? I can think of some stuff. We got some stuff. We got some stuff in our attic we hadn't seen in a long time. We hadn't even- Brains, we'd go up there and throw the stuff away. But I can think of a few things maybe I'd like to have. But none of that comes close to comparing to the value of my soul. Listen, I want you to tremble and shake. I want you to be deeply concerned and exercised over the fact, am I right with God? Am I on my way to heaven? Am I willing to die right now in the state that I'm in and face God, or if I know that I'm not right with God, what's keeping you from trusting Him? Somebody asked the question one time, and I want to make sure I say it properly. What is there in hell that you want enough that you'd be willing to go there? Well, the answer to that is there's nothing there. People in hell don't have any fun. Well, I've heard people say, well, I'll go to hell. I'll just have a big beer party with my friends. We'll party like we always have, just be in hell. You'll be all alone in a place that's pitch black in torment where you hear the shrieks and the screams and the howls of others. And perhaps you bounce off of one other in the darkness, but you will be absolutely alone. What is worth What is worth gaining? And that that's the payment. It's a deliverance from every adversary. Right now I still have some, but one of these days I'll be taken out of this world and won't have to worry anymore about being troubled by the devil. Won't have to worry about being troubled by my old flesh. It's a permanent deliverance. (laughs) It's everlasting salvation. How long are you going to be saved, preacher, as long as God's alive? I'll say that sometimes, be talking to somebody, and, they, and they'll say, How are you doing? I said, I'm doing all right, long as God's alive. He's on his throne, and, and there's no challenge to him. <laughs> uh, to whom shall we compare thee? Listen, God's always spoken about in the superlative, never the comparative. There's no thing, no one, nothing, no entity that can be compared unto God. When you see that, that eastern yin-yang, you know, look like two tadpoles in a circle, a white one and a black one. That, that is the eternal struggle of good and evil. That's a lie. There is no eternal struggle of good and evil. I've read the last page of the book. I know who wins. Matter of fact, I know who's already won. On the cross in deep agony, the darkness, and he, the pain that he was suffering, he cried out, It is finished! (laughs) Jesus has already won the victory. And the salvation we have is an eternal salvation. We're just going to heaven forever. It's not a temporal salvation. It's not something you enjoy for a little while while you're a kid and then forget the rest of your life. Man alive, it's good to be saved. Hey, if you, listen, if you've got something better than this, try it on out. I want to take a look at it. I want to hear about it. No, we, we preach a loving Savior, God who could judge us, but instead of judging us, judged Himself. Let His Son die in our place on the cross. Raised Him from the dead. Leaves on His body the marks of Calvary. And when we get to heaven, we'll see Him as a lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. It's a deliverance of positive eternity. Away from all evil into the wonders and glory of heaven. Hey, we read about it. Paul said, I saw things that wasn't lawful to be uttered. In other words, there's no words in human language to describe it properly. So we open up our Bibles to the book of the Revelation and we begin to read. There's 12 foundations. Uh, There's a wall made of jasper. Gates made of pearl. I've often wondered how big those gates are. the The city itself. This is this, and this is not all there is of heaven. This is just the capital city. Fifteen hundred miles a cube. That's the city. That's where we're going. The river of life is there. The tree of life is there. All those things that we can talk about and that we've seen and in. And we enjoy our minds just begin to explode with those things. Pale into insignificance of the fact that we'll see Christ. All those things are nice, but seeing Jesus is going to be the most important thing and the thing we're all hung up on for sure. Apostates. Who are they? Apostates are not those who, are, who were believers and have abandoned the Lord and lost their salvation, there's no such thing as losing the salvation of God. You were born physically, whatever your birth date is, mine is October the 24th, 1953, and if you kill me, I was still born October the 24th, 1953. When I die and I'm in heaven, I still will have been born physically October the 24th, 1953. I was born a weems, not many of us. No, no other Weemses in here at all. No other Freemans in here. We got any Joneses? We got a Jones. My my middle name is Jones. I got four last names. Freeman, Jones, Weems, a third. and That's me. Now, if I de- if I disgrace my family, if I become a traitor and sell out my, my country, and and. Sell to the communist or whoever it might be, I'm still a weems. You get saved, you're born of the grace of God, you cannot get unborn. You don't find that taught anywhere in Scripture. You want to go to heaven on the fast track? Get saved and get out out of sorts with God. Be disobedient. God will take you home. Read Acts chapter number 5. Read the book of James. Read the book of 1 John. There's a sin unto death. God can take you home early, but you still belong to Him. Apostates are not believers who have abandoned their faith. They're people who never were saved to begin with. Jude makes that very plain. He says right here that they were what? Certain men crept in unawares. An apostate is a person who professed to believe, but they've returned to their animosity, their their war against the gospel. Uh, look in the book of Second Peter for just a minute. You're just a couple of pages away. Turn towards the front of your Bible a little bit. Second Peter chapter number 2. Second Peter chapter 2. Let me describe to you in biblical terms how God describes an apostate. Verse 21. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness... Then after they have known it, to turn from the the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them, according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. You can take a pig and scrub it all you want to and put perfume on it. Put Chanel number 5 on it behind its ears. As soon as it sees a mud hole a hog's going to jump in that mud hole and go to wallowing. My wife had never seen or heard a pig other than maybe she saw something in the zoo. We were going to visit my grandmother one day, and so my mom and my dad were driving, we were sitting in the back seat, and she saw some hogs on the side of the road, and we had to stop and get out and let her listen to them hogs. You know how they do. They're digging around that mud, and it was all over them. That's... That's how you identify pigs. That's what they do. You might look at one and say, Well, you know, what about those ears and that snout? Then you see it in the mud. Yeah, it's a pig. Well, that's what the Bible said. They go back to their mud hole, no matter how much you clean them up. And we all know how nasty dogs are. You say, Not mine. All right, let it throw up and see what happens. They will do exactly what the Bible said they'll go eat it. That's gross. I agree with you. Nasty. Sounds awful. Ew. Aren't you glad babies don't do that? But dogs do. And so there's a biblical picture. An apostate is just like a dog that throws up, turns, walks away, and comes right back and eats its own vomit again. They are not, they never were believers. They've always been unbelievers and they prove it by what they go back to. First John, they were not of us. They'd been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went away that it might be made manifest they were not of us, apostates. That's what the Bible says. How how expensive is the church? Have you ever thought what the church cost? Well, the Bible says that we were like a pearl, like like a a merchant who was seeking pearls. And when he found one, when he found one of, of great price, he went and sold everything he had to purchase that one pearl. That's us. That's Jesus Christ seeing us and giving all that he had for us. Hold your place right here and turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter eleven, for just a minute. Excuse me, twelve. Hebrews twelve. Wherefore, see we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and that that sin is probably unbelief. That's the thing you and I struggle the most with. The sin which us so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. As Jesus was on the cross. He looked out and he saw you and he saw me. Uh, I'll give you another biblical picture of that. In the book of Ruth, Ruth is a Moabitess, not supposed to ever go into the tabernacle of the congregation at all. And yet, Boaz falls in love with her. And in chapter chapter 2, he says, Look, you stay here by my young men. You eat the, the food that they'll have for you. They'll prepare things for you. Aren't you glad it does that for us? And he told the men, said, let fall some of the handfuls of purpose for her. And let her glean up amongst the sheaves. She was a Gentile. She didn't know she wasn't supposed to do things like that. And Boaz said, it's all right, I want you to do this. You fix it up for her. What a picture that is of the grace of God, him dropping handfuls of purpose for us. But in chapter 3, he goes and he beats out the, the wheat. That's a picture of the threshing of Christ. He lays down and covers his feet and he goes to sleep. And Ruth sneaks up there, uncovers his feet and lays down. And the Bible says at midnight, the man was afraid. You know, there's another text in the New Testament said he was heard in that he feared. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, that's over Freeman Weems' head. But I read it in the scripture. So Boaz wakes up and he sits up, and when he does, he says, Who art thou? And she said, It's Ruth. And she begins to talk to him. Spread thy skirt over over this, this handmaiden. In other words, I need you to do something for me that I can't do. I need to be redeemed. What did he tell her? Lay down till the morning. Hallelujah, one of these days, resurrection morning's coming. But we lay down at His feet and He said, What do you want? (laughs) i got to be redeemed. I need somebody who can pay the price. Someone who can buy me and everything about me. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as snow. Oh my goodness, that pearl of great price. Jesus gave all that He had the church you and I ought to love the church too this common salvation is contending for the faith there was a set of books written called the fundamentals that's how we got our handle the fundamentalists because it talked about things we won't negotiate and there's some things we won't negotiate on the gospel I'm sorry there's only one way to be saved. I'm not looking for another, not going to preach another. So, what if every Baptist preacher shifts and they, they go another direction? They'll just have to go their way. The gospel's for all who believe. The blood, amen, the blood of Christ. Harry Emerson Fosdick called that slaughterhouse religion. He said, We sophisticated people don't need anything like that. And we go, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We believe the blood, the book, the blessed hope. I believe Jesus was born of a virgin. So, well, science says, I don't care what science says. Science has come up with so many oddities anyway. Listen, if you read great scientific (laughs) discoveries of fast two or three hundred years you'll cackle and laugh because they've changed matter of fact they they killed George Washington he was sick and they just kept draining blood out of him trying to get the bad blood out and they got down to critical mass and took too much and he died you know what the bible said thousands of years before that happened the life of the flesh is in the blood We believe in a virgin birth. We believe in a sacrificial death. We believe in a bodily resurrection. We believe in a bodily return. King Jesus himself is coming back. Uh, He's not going to be 900 feet tall. So I've never seen him. You'll know him when you see him. (laughs) Inside of you the Holy Spirit say, That's him. That's him. That's the Son of God. We believe in the inspiration of the Bible. This book is without error. It wasn't written by men. It was inspired by God. Forty authors over 2,500 years wrote this book. And there are no contradictions in it. We believe in an inspired, infallible, inerrant Bible. Thanks be unto God he's given us this blessed old King James. Now listen, these, these and these thou's, that's not what troubles you. Not really. We can sing it in our, in our hymn book all the time. Use those words. We don't complain about the hymns. The devil's doing anything he can to keep you from reading this Bible, trying to trap you and trick you into saying it's too hard to understand. We believe in creationism. Literal creationism. Six day creationism. Six days the Lord created, and on the seventh day he rested. We believe that there wasn't anything, and God said, Let there be. There wasn't any light or any way to make light, but God said, let there be light. Then he made the sun, the moon, the stars later on. We didn't know what earth was, but God made it. We believe those things. We believe in the church, that local church, the body and bride of Christ. We're God's army, contending for the faith. Isaac Watts preached a message from 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 13. Quit you like men. But he added a poem to the end of his sermon when he had it published and distributed. And the poem is now a song that you and I sing. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? While others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. The song goes on to say, No, I must fight if I would win. Increase my courage, Lord. We're to earnestly contend for the faith. That's not just my job, it's your job. Athanasius of Alexandria, Africa, who fought and withstood the Arian heresy, by the way, it was one Hebrew, or excuse me, one Greek letter. One Greek letter. And Athanasius said no, and he fought and he withstood the the Arians, and Athanasius won. But he stood, and when they said to him, Athanasius, the world's against thee. If the world is against the truth, then I'm against the world. That's what he said. Under the Decian persecution around 250 AD, all were required to burn incense and recognize the emperor as being God. Christians, many Christians, compromised and did it. They burnt the incense. They made the statement, the emperor is God because they didn't want to die. But there were untold numbers of believers who said, I can't do that. And rather than burn a pinch of incense and just kind of go along with what was happening in the day, they said no. And thousands upon thousands of Christians paid with their life to stand up. Dare we do any less? Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory his army shall he lead, till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. How dare we dip our colors, act like we're embarrassed by Jesus. John Bunyan spent 12 years in prison. Because he wouldn't quit preaching. The king and his administration felt like they had the authority to to determine who could preach and who couldn't. But us Baptists, here we come. Bunyan was a Baptist, you know. Went to Bedford Baptist Church. He was a Baptist. Believed in what we call soul liberty and priesthood of the believer meaning you don't need anybody between you and God for you to have a conversation with Him. And Bunyan spent 12 years in prison rather than drop his colors, rather than just promise to quit preaching. The last time they asked him, Master Bunyan, will you just promise that you won't preach? We'll turn you loose, then you can do what you want to. Just promise us you won't preach. He said, I promise you if you turn me loose... I'll be preaching before I get home. He fed his family by putting little brass tags on shoestrings. While he's in prison, his blind daughter died. He suffered, but he suffered for the faith. Do we value our faith? Today, believers in northern Africa are dying for their faith. A couple of years ago, I saw a picture of a church. Three to four hundred were in attendance. The Muslims gathered around the church, chained the doors, set the place on fire, shot anybody who climbed out from a window, and burned over 300 Christians to death. That's modern times, not something happened 200 years ago. Dare we shy away from the conflict? You're already a soldier. When you got saved, you was a soldier. <laughs> the only issue is, am I going to be a faithful, loyal soldier? Or am I going to be an unfaithful, and unloyal soldier? If we declare the truth but avoid the exact point of conflict, the main issue of the day, we're failures. I'm not excited about preaching on people's private lifestyle. I have no option. I don't want our young folks to think that homosexuality and other sexually deviant ways of of life are okay or that they're equal to the heterosexual lifestyle. They're not. I, I don't want our young folks to think that I believe or that there is any reason to believe that there are other cultures that are superior to Christian culture. They're not. They're not. How are we going to contend we're going to pray for success of the faith against error? There's some things we can't do. I get asked things, I say, the only thing I know to do is we're just going to have to pray. Well, the good news is we're touching the one that can do something about it. The hand that moves God is the hand of prayer from here on earth and Many times from a broken heart and we can barely just get the words out, maybe not even form them, we just groan and maybe we weep and cry. The Holy Ghost knows how to take those groanings and translate them into the heavenly language and present them before the Lord as incense of a sweet-smelling savor unto Him. By our holy example, I know this is a big stumbling point for young folks. They look at adults who profess to be Christians who don't live it. I want you young folks to know that adults do sometimes make mistakes. Adults do sin. And when you're an adult, you're going to do the same thing. Don't let what somebody else does or doesn't do hinder you from walking with God. And for those of us who are trying to blaze a trail, let's mark a good one. Let's mark a trail that those who come behind us will know the way. Let's make sure we blaze a trail that that says the blood still saves, Jesus is still God, Jesus is alive. Let's, Let's mark the right trail and let our life be lived in such a way that people say they're different, these Christians. By encouraging those saints whose Satan's attacks seem to fall on the most heavily. We can contend for the faith. When you see somebody struggling, come alongside of them. That's what the word paraclete means. That's what the Holy Spirit is. One who comes alongside. By mutual exhortation, Hebrews 10 verse 25, exhort one another. Not forsaking the assembling ourselves together as the manner of some is. By testimony, when you're called on to speak. Listen, when you get questioned about your faith in Christ, be bold. You don't have to be mean or arrogant. You say you might even say something like this, I can't explain it all, but I can tell you what happened to me. I know Alistair Begg, his name's been in the news here lately for a statement he made about a, a wedding. Well, there's a little video clip of him talking about the thief on the cross that went to heaven and he began to qu- He said, had angels questioning him said you're, you're clear on the doctrine of justification by faith aren't you and he said I don't even know what that is and he said to the thief well at least you know this don't you and he said I don't know anything and finally the angel said to the thief that had died on the cross next to Jesus he said How do you, what makes you think you can come here and he said this the man on the middle cross said I could come. When you get a chance to speak up, don't be afraid. When you begin to speak, God will be with you. You say, I'm afraid I'll say the wrong thing. By not saying anything, you've already said the wrong thing. So just open up and do the best you can. By suffering for our faith, By patiently waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. I've been praying for some things for a long time. When I go to bed tonight and grab my wife's hand and say, let's pray. And I pray for those same things again. I'm still believing God. I may be dead before all my prayers are answered. Your prayers don't die when you do. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. Heads are bowed, and eyes are closed, no one's looking about.